Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy, you are listening to episode 92 of the Howie Games, part A, featuring the wonderful woman that is Ishigua. For you out there, right off the top, thanks for giving this episode a listen and supporting the show. If you could please recommend the podcast to someone, anyone that you think may enjoy it, that would be great. The Howie Games will give you a gold star. Ishigua, this is an incredibly talented lady, an international cricketer, an academic, and one of the most recognised and respected voices in cricket anywhere, whether it be at home in the UK, in India with the IPL, the Caribbean, here in Australia with Fox Cricket. Isha is a much-loved broadcaster. For me, after working with Ish in Dubai and the West Indies and the USA and here in Australia, I count myself very fortunate indeed to call her a good friend. I listen to her, though, beside me in commentary. If only I could sound like she does. Gee, she's got such a wonderful, wonderful tone and accent in her way with words. She puts the ooh in smooth, does Ishigua. So you search and try to find but you don't know where to go. So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by This episode will hopefully provide you with plenty of laughs as we chat about Isha's journey from her parents' days of moving to the UK, her introduction to cricket, her love of playing test matches, the value of kindness, broadcasting and plenty of good times along the way. Isha also talks about the pain of losing her beloved, beloved mother and how she dealt with the grief that ensured in a very difficult and sad time for her. Right at the end, Isha's hubby Rich one of the great men who is literally a rock star. That is his job. He is a rock star. Rich plays a tune he wrote for you, the listeners. It's called This Bloom. You need to hear a bit of it probably now before we get going into it. This is Rich with This Bloom. I'll be waiting here To dance you out to the garden Where this bloom it stays Google Richard Thomas or the band Brother and Bones and check out some of Richard's fantastic work. The entire song is at the end of part B. Alrighty, time for you to hear the tale of Isha Gua. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on, children, try it with me. We want to reach Mount Zion. Welcome to the Howie Games, the legend that is Isha Gua in the UK. How are you, Isha? How are you, Guru? <laughs> I am. No, you are the Guru. I'm fantastic. I wish we were doing this in person. It's bizarre seeing you on the other side of the world. I know, it's crazy. Uh, and crazy times at the moment as well. But good to see your face, Howie. And always nice to see a familiar face. So... Ishigua, sipping on a wine in the UK. <laughs> so we first met in Dubai, yeah? I, yes, that is when we first met. But I'd seen you a lot because I'd worked on Big Bash coverage back home and I'd seen your commentary and I thought you were amazing. 
Wow, you can come on this show anytime. <laughs> so we, we sat together for the first time on a on a Masters tournament where older guys were playing Gilly and Brian Lara and the like. And and I, I've told people this since. We didn't know each other. You sit down and commentate. You're only getting to know someone basically on air. And as soon as you spoke, I was entranced by not at what you're saying at this point, Ish, which is also very good and got me, but your beautiful, <laughs> beautiful voice. And I just remember for the first couple of hours, overs, I was just listening to the absolute beautifully, uh, beautiful way you speak compared to my rough Australian accent. And that voice <laughs> has become synonymous with cricket all around the world now in a short period of time, Ish. You've done amazing things. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um and it's it's weird because I, I remember that distinctly because I was like, really, <laughs> you really like my voice? Because I, I was oh. still, <laughs> I was, I was still quite insecure back then about my commentary and you know what I was doing in that space. I always felt my my strength was probably more in my presenting and and that's I guess where I was going to move forwards. Um, and then. The commentary opportunities obviously opened up around the world, and I, you know, like anything, you just get the experience of, of just doing it more, and um, yeah, I, I think I guess that's where my confidence grew. Actually, was with the Australian public more than anything was going over to Australia, working firstly with you at uh, the Masters, then obviously with Triple M again, you know, where I was a little bit apprehensive as to how I would be received over there. Works from. The river end comes in the marsh on 96. It's pulled away. Does it go into the gap? It, it is. does. It goes into the gap. And Sean Marsh has got himself 100. A wonderful innings from Sean Marsh. Australia, 8 for 442. Coming again. It's in goal. hands off. End of Joe Root. And that's in the air. And then, yeah, it just kind of went from there, really. I mean, I I had the opportunity of obviously working over in the IPL for for quite a few years and over in the CPL, but but for me, it was really just coming over to Australia that that gave me that that big boost, I guess, to to really believe my believe in myself in commentary. Um, tell me about y- your family, your mum and dad, and your family history and where you've come from. Um, so. Mum and dad originally from India. Uh, Mum uh, originally actually from what is now known as Bangladesh. Uh, it was East Pakistan before that. And before that, it was all one big country. So um, at the time of partition, when the British Empire, uh, or the, the British left, sorry. Um, so that was in the, the 40s. Her parents moved to Kolkata. It was, it was the the single largest migration that had ever happened. Uh, and it, it kind of threw people out. Like you wouldn't believe that, that kind of time in history is really fascinating actually. Um, can um, you come and teach history? That's what you're going to teach the kids because <laughs> that description you've just given me, you're going back to their textbook. So you are doing history at my house in, in uh, homeschooling. Go on, go on. So, um, my grandfather uh, bought, or he, he he basically moved into a 
uh, a block of flats that he still lives on top of right now in Kolkata. <laughs> Um, it was Calcutta back then. So, you know, from the forties through till now. And, uh, yeah, so, so mum and her siblings grew up there. Um, and dad always lived in Kolkata. So, uh, yeah, come from, came from a, a Bengali family and, uh, dad moved to England in the sixties, um, to study engineering, uh, in, in search of, you know, a better life, I guess. He he moved to the UK. Uh, he came back to to marry mum uh, in an arranged marriage. So they hadn't actually seen each other. They'd seen photos, but they hadn't actually like hung out together before they got married, which is you know incredible. It's that's mind blowing, isn't it? To think that that happened. So had, when you think about they'd met. No, they hadn't met. So, so yeah, completely arranged marriage. They hadn't wow. met till the wedding. So in modern society, I mean, imagine that happening now. It's just crazy to think that. But obviously that was commonplace back then. And in some parts it still is commonplace. So did you ask you know, them, mum essentially. Aisha, have you asked them, um, did you ever ask them how you fall in love with someone that you've never met before? Have you ever had that discussion with them or not? Like it's a pretty um, adult it, discussion, it's, isn't it? It's a, it's a pretty common um, response from Asian parents that um, love grows. Okay. <laughs> so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> You're bound um, in marriage and then love grows. That's how it works, Howie. Huh. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that... They, they got married um, and then pretty much within a week, dad was whisking mum off to the UK. So completely foreign surroundings for her. And I just had complete admiration for what she did because literally you're being uprooted to a completely different place with a man that you have no like no idea about. And she just got on with it. And and this is what, you know, you know this is why I say I learned so much from her and just being adaptable because she just literally just got to England. She... She tried to learn the language. She um, started a job and, you know, she was trying to earn money for the family and she was cooking at home, trying to support her partner who she barely even knew. And yeah, just got on with it. And, and you know, both of my parents were, you know, it was really important for them to, and I don't like this word, but integrate with society and, you know, learn about the culture that they were being becoming part of and I think that had that was really beneficial to myself and my brother growing up um but they never forgot their roots of course and you know till this day I still go back to Kolkata I mean I'm very fortunate to do so through the IPL and I, I see my grandfather um when I can um so yeah it's it's um a part of my life that I'm, I'm very proud of and I you know I, I'm always trying to learn more about it um it's really kind of, I, I am proud of, of that side of my, um, what's the word? Heritage. Yeah. I, I'm really proud of that side of my heritage. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's, India is a vast country. Um, you've been there. Mm. Have you been there? Yeah, I have. Yeah, you have been there. And I kind of break it down, like in the different regions, I guess they all, they worship different gods. There's different kind of local cuisine um, that you're accustomed to. 
um, different kind of rituals and one thing that Bengalis are kind of famous for are um, I guess being part of the art because it used to be the capital so there used to be a lot of social gatherings and so you know there are a lot of musicians poets um, actors that come from there so my my granddad so my dad's dad was a film director my mum my grandma who we lost last year she was a um, a singer and my grand my granddad is so proud of her like every time we would go to his place um, he would always put on her music and we'd hear her sing and uh, they would have people come around, you know, 30, 40 people, like three or four nights a week just to just to play music. And yeah, that was the kind of the environment back then. And and that's something that I guess I've always really enjoyed myself, you know, just getting together with friends and, and just playing music so or listening to music. So, yeah, um, that's that's a little bit about my my heritage. On that very point, as you know, Ish, um, I have two young children Um and they always like to ask a question in the podcast. Um, and, <laughs> and the first question, um, well, I was doing this last night with my daughter and my son. So you're going to get a question first from my daughter because it's relevant to what you're talking about. It comes out at various times. Sky, who is now 10. Um, who is, Which is a brilliant name, by oh, the way. She's a, I love that name. Oh, I love her. She's such a beautiful little girl. Um she wanted to know this, but she rolls as the pickle. As you know, I'm pretty big on nicknames. Um, yeah. Isha G, she's the pickle. <laughs> uh, hopefully you can hear this all the way over in England. This is her question for you. Hi, Isha, Pickle here. I think you're really cool on the TV. My dad told me that your husband, Rich, really rocks <laughs> the guitar. I'm trying to learn it too. Can you play the guitar or any other musical instruments? Oh, Pickle, that is a really great question. Uh, so I attempted to learn the guitar when I was a teenager, but I just didn't have the discipline to keep it going. So I'm sure your dad will be telling you that for you to learn the guitar, you need to be playing it every day. Yes. And you have the opportunity to do so now, which is great. Um, but yeah, I kind of, cricket became my priority in my teen in my teens, so... That kind of fell away, and then I met Rich, so he could kind of fulfil that dream for me. But um, <laughs> so your husband is a rock star. We might as well get to it now. He, he, when I talked to my daughter, he is actually a rock star. Your husband, um, he is the shyest rock star you could possibly know. What? Until you see him on stage. When you see him on stage, and he's like, his hair's like th- being thrown around, and he's like singing at the top of his lungs, and he's pumping it out like. He is a completely different person. He's like a he's, he crosses the white line and he turns into this this musician. Um, but he is a very gentle soul. Um, he's he's super shy when it comes to that sort of thing. Like if you asked him to play something right now, he would not do it. Well, that's going to happen. And and I've seen this. <laughs> I've seen it in hotel foyers with him before when there's been instruments out, and he blatantly refuses. Yeah, yeah, he has. Yeah, even if he's got a few drinks in him. Yes. Until he meets Steve Smith and says, "Right, come on, let's have a let's have a chat." <laughs> That's exactly right. So, <laughs> your musical abilities—you said you 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 started playing early on. Someone told me that I'm not going to mention that you attempted to play the guitar in front of. <laughs> I'm talking serious Bollywood royalty. Ish. I'm talking one of the biggest movie stars in India. Is this true or not? 
Let me guess, was that Brett Lee? Uh, <laughs> it's someone that's been on the Howie Games before that's quite musical with blonde hair and bowls really, really fast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Binger was there and... So it was an IPL party. I can't remember. They probably just won or something. So we were all hanging out, and Binger gets his guitar. I think his brother, like one of his really close friends, is with him, and he starts jamming. And Shah Rukh Khan is there. Like for people who don't know who Shah Rukh Khan is, he's like the who is he? He's like the. Is as big the as it gets. Clint Eastwood, yes. the Clint Eastwood of of Bollywood, at least. Maybe I, I can't say that in his prime, Clint Eastwood, because he's not that old. But <laughs> he's the biggest movie um, star in India. He's he, he's, he's like a Brad. He's like a Brad Pitt, Clint yes. Eastwood type vibes. That's yeah, right. Okay. So so he's sat there. He's like there, and <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I've I might have had a few drinks by this point. So. As you know, Howie, two or three drinks, I'm usually just a little bit more relaxed and I'm happy to kind of... Boisterous, I would say. Boisterous. (laughs) I'm happy to attempt to play the guitar and make a fool of myself. So I'm like, Bingo, pass me the guitar. I can play Oasis Wonderwall, which is actually relatively easy. Anyway, I start strumming and I'm I'm like, oh, this doesn't sound right. This... (laughs) And I have Shah Rukh Khan's full attention by this point. He is looking in my direction. There's silence around. There's maybe a group of eight of us. So complete silence falls around and they're just listening to these horrendous noises protruding from the, from the guitar. And I'm like, this really just doesn't... Am I... I'm definitely not that drunk. And then I realised that it hasn't been tuned... Like, it's been tuned differently. And I'm like, oh... Do I just keep going with this and just pretend that this is how it sounds or <laughs> should I just stop or should I try and tune it even though I don't know how to tune? Um, anyway, it basically just, I lent, I landed flat on my face and I passed it back to Binger and I had to like remove myself from the situation and go to the toilet. <laughs> well, Skies, you will be impressed Never by to that. be seen again. <laughs> and never to touch a guitar again. Um, cricket. Um, how, how does little Isha, who would have been cute as a button, no doubt, <laughs> how does little Isha find her way um, to cricket? Is it the backyard or how does yep. it start? Yeah, backyard. Parents um, used to watch cricket on telly all the time. Dad grew up in Calcutta, so used to frequent Eden Gardens. Uh, and my brother, I basically copied everything that he did. Um, he's seven years older than me. He played cricket, badminton, hockey, tennis. I literally did exactly the same. He went to uni, studied science. I did exactly the same. Um, listened to all the same music he did. So I would I would practice in the back garden with him. We had a nice long, thin back garden, so it was perfect for a cricket wicket. We had the the milk crates as stumps, um, greenhouse smashed leg side. Um, that's probably why I became a leg side player because I used to love smashing the greenhouse. <laughs> um, but it was classic scenario. Like you, you hear it with everyone. Um, brother gets you out early so then you end up bowling for the rest of the evening and uh started at the local cricket club with the boys and dad was pretty reluctant initially mum had to convince him that it was okay for me to play with the boys and um I actually think this is quite a big lesson and and I've only thought about it in the last sort of three or four years was that I was the only girl but also from a British from an Indian descent playing with a group of boys that were British and from a Pakistani descent. And 
to a lot of maybe traditional families, they would have looked to that and, and maybe frowned upon that. Um, but because my parents never saw it as a, an issue, no one else ever did. And I think that was a significant part of my upbringing, um, to be quite honest with you. And, and you know, I, I got on really well with those guys. Um, they really protected me. And as a girl, as I'm sure every other girl says that plays in, in boys teams, you feel like you need to do better than everyone else just to prove yourself. And I just happened to, to, to do okay. So, um, yeah, I got fast tracked pretty quickly. Were you a gun from the start? Like, were you, um, dominating at a young age or did you have to work your way into it? Um, I, I probably had quite a lot of early success. Yeah. Um, I actually used to bowl off the wrong foot and then it just clicked in a game once. Like it, it wasn't even, I was practicing it. It just happened. I was like, oh, that's not, why can't I bowl like he is? Like he's, he's bowling off the f- right, that foot. And then I'd watch a bit on telly and then it just clicked once. Huh. And then I, I was away like it. I, I remember that distinctly actually. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I had a couple of decent performances when I was younger and, you know, like I said, I got I just got fast tracks pretty quickly. You know, I was I was already playing under twenty one, Thames Valley, which is like a a group uh, an amalgamated county side. Um, at the age of ten, I think it was yeah, it was ten. In the under twenty ones. Yeah, which <laughs> I yeah I look back at that now and I remember being absolutely scared shitless. Like not not when I was bowling because you know you don't get hit when you're bowling, but I, I remember having to bat in one of those games and I got smacked on the thigh. I wasn't wearing a thigh pad, got smacked on the thigh and then the next ball I got out and I was like, oh my God, this is too much. Um, but yeah, and then and then just kind of England territorials and stuff early and um, yeah, it was uh, it was just one of those, you know, it just, it just kept sort of happening. And, and to be quite honest, it, it wasn't even my favourite sport. Like my favourite sport was badminton. I absolutely loved badminton and I, I always thought that that would be where I um, pursued my dreams. Um, I didn't even realise there was a women's team until I was an England women's team until I was about 11 um, when I was playing with, you know, some of the girls. So, yeah, it was um, it was one of those dreams that I guess came early teens and, uh, yeah, I, I, I was fortunate enough to be part of... Um, the trials and the under under fifteen, under seventeens, and then and then got my call up. But I think in two thousand and two, the British Badminton Association are listening to this <laughs> and thinking, "Oh no! Not only did we miss a gun player, we would have had the best badminton commentator in the history of our sport." And she went and chose cricket. <laughs> so you, yeah, you, I'm not sure about that. Harry. You, you picked to play for England. I got notes. I've actually got notes. You've got wine, and I've got notes. Um, and you know I'm not a big note taker when we go to the cricket. Uh, test debut versus England, age 17, at Taunton. Have I got that right? No. Oh, oh test debut. Yes. No, that is right. That is right. Sorry. Good. Sorry. All right. So tell me about your test debut at age 17. Uh, yeah, all a bit of a whirlwind. You have that. I guess that lack of fear because you know you're kind of not expected to do anything really 
Um, I remember just being so giddy to wear whites and, and to play in a test match. It was honestly the best thing ever. <laughs> and I, w I wish we could have played a lot more, but um, yeah, it, it was taunting. So an absolute road <laughs> to bowl on. And because I was 17, and I think I might have mentioned this a couple of times in the summer um, when we saw Nassim Shah, because actually I could only bowl seven overs at a time and I could only bowl 21 overs in a day. So when Mitali Raj was scoring her double century and I wanted to, <laughs> to try and bowl more overs, <laughs> I wasn't allowed to. Because um, oh, on but restrictions, because you were young. Yeah, on, on restrictions. So... so oh. <laughs> I was cut off at 21 overs in a day, which to be honest, was fine in the end because I was just knackered then <laughs> by the evening. But um, yeah, no, honestly, we watched her bat for hours and hours and hours and hours. And she did it all in like two jumpers, even though it was like 25 degrees. And, uh, but I absolutely loved it, honestly. Like that third spell, I was running in, I was going, this is amazing. I love this. I love test cricket. Uh, and yeah, it it ended up in a draw, but um, the the most incredible experience. Not much vision online of Ishigua which steaming is a good thing. In. No, of Ishigua steaming in. So for those that aren't aware, now this is going to be difficult for you. Describe yourself as a bowler. Take us to the top of your run. Steaming in. <laughs> what is Ishigua serving up? Um, what am I serving? Serving up, mm. hopefully not half volleys outside the off stump, <laughs> but that would happen occasionally because I will, you know, the swing would go or something, and so I, I would often feed those up, especially in Australia because there wasn't any swing available. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I was just one of those, I guess, niggly bowlers, perfect for English conditions. If there was any seam, like if there was any grass in the wicket, that was me overcast conditions I could get the ball swinging um sometimes without knowing I could <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound that scientific what you're rolling out of <laughs> no it was it was bowl and hope a lot of the time to be honest um no you know I did have moments where I just I felt in a really good zone uh and those moments are just again like any player any player in any sport are just some of the some of the best moments you could you could wish for because literally nothing affects you you're in the zone you're in your rhythm um but yeah I'd say that I wasn't you know I was quite tiptoey <laughs> as I approached the crease and you know I kind of just it was all quite fluid it wasn't like heavy or anything like that and um, I got a lot of pace from my arm action, actually. Actually, and I think that came from badminton. So when I used to play the smash shot and stuff like that. So I had quite a whippy action um, and I'd hustle, I guess. That's the best way of describing me. Back to Isha in a moment. Next up on the Howie Games. Gee, was I pumped. Was I pumped when this man emailed me back to say he was happy to come on the show, F1 broadcaster and former racer Martin Brundle. This is a man that learnt his craft of broadcasting alongside one of the true legends of world sports broadcasting, the incomparable Murray Walker. And he was like, I can't tell you anything about Formula One, Martin. I said, come on, Murray, yeah, yeah, yes, you can. He said, I'll tell you one thing. 
just remember, we are only here to inform and entertain, nothing more. <laughs> and I thought, and I remembered that ever since. And I, I joined Murray in the commentary uh, and, you know, I'd have my hand on his shoulder and if I wanted to say something, I'd squeeze, now squeeze a bit harder. Then I'd get my fingernails underneath his tendons and squeeze <laughs> really hard. And then he might, then he might stop talking. <laughs> he was so enthusiastic. I'm absolutely convinced if I'd have walked, crept out the back of the commentary box, he would never have noticed until after the race had finished. <laughs> he was so on it. That is Martin Brundle up on the next episode of the show. He is a beauty. One of the great things to see on television is Martin's live grid walk at a Formula One race, which he talks a lot about. If you've got no interest in fast cars, don't worry, you'll enjoy this episode. Alrighty, back to Isha. Eight test matches, as you said, you didn't get to play a great deal of test match cricket and, and it's still a great shame now that the female version doesn't play so much test cricket. 29 wickets at 18.93. Top score of 31, not out. Um, holds the world record, Ishigua, for the ninth wicket stand in one-day international <laughs> cricket with Lindsay Askew of 73. What type of batter? Is Ishigua as she now sucks on a wine? <laughs> um, what were you like with a stick in your hand? Obviously, pretty handy with a test average of well, of that type of figure. I mean, I backed myself. I just, I kind of wish I knew what I knew at the end of my career, at the start of my career, which is what everyone says. But um, yeah, I, I, I wish that. I could have been a better batter by the time I'd retired, if you know what I mean. Um, but I loved batting. That was like, you know, I, that's probably something I miss more than anything is is actually batting out in the middle and, and batting in test matches. Um, okay, there, there might be a few innings in there where my strike percentage was quite low. Now, this is something I, I didn't do- want. I, I, I dotted I, up. I didn't want to mention this, Ish, but I had a look on Creek Info and I thought, geez, I would have liked to watch your bowl, but this is real Tavare stuff. I, I'm not sure I want to watch your bat because the strike rate, oh, my heavens above, Ish. Like, did you ever play any shots or not? <laughs> it was a situation. It was usually oh, the batters before I got out, so we were trying to save the game. Right, okay. Well, I know that you saved the game. Um, you talked about bowling in Australia. Mm. Your crowning glory in Test match cricket was at Bowral, a very historic place in this country. Tell us about how you single-handedly won the Ashes <laughs> for England. I'd had a really horrendous tour. Uh, they kept picking the spinners, so I wasn't featuring in the one days. And then I got my opportunity at the SCG of all places, one of the most iconic grounds in the world, and I bowled like shit. So I was like... I'm definitely not playing this test match. Um, the day before, I was bowling at the captain, Charlotte Edwards, out in the middle, and I was bowling really well and I felt really good. And then I just kind of, I just became overwhelmed with emotion because I was so gutted to think that I was not going to play. And then the coach came up to me and said, Ish, you're going to be playing. Um, I think Jenny Gunn was ill or injured. Uh, one of those, but she basically had to pull out the day before. So I got the nod and the rest, I guess, is history. Um, I turned up that morning, obviously hadn't really slept that well, just with anticipation, with excitement. 
and uh it was just perfect english conditions um overcast conditions uh I, I think there was a bit of green in the wicket um but i remember thinking oh i really hope we bowl first and we did um and managed to get a couple of early wickets um and that i think the first wicket just really kind of settled the nerves and then it just kind of happened and and what i was talking about before um a lot of players call it like their white moment where everything is just everything just fits perfectly and whatever position you move the slip fielder to they'll take a catch you just feel like you can take a wicket every ball and uh yeah it was just one of those where i was just so in the zone and um to do it against australia as well i know it was a one test match series but to be able to do it against australia was was very special five for 40 in the first innings nine for the match player of the match i can't find it anywhere is it on the internet i doubt it because we didn't there were no um iPhones or any right. camera phones back then. So, so what we are going to do? Because at this stage, <laughs> I would normally put a highlight in Isha. You might need to have another glass of wine before you attempt this. <laughs> who who did you get? You need to firstly tell me who you got for your fifth wicket and how you got them. So number five was Kirsten Pike. Pike, do you remember how you got her out? No, but Isn't it says it's... bold. Okay, they're perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, do you know what the score was okay. at that stage? It was, they they got 154. Okay. Was, was she the final wicket, Pikey? She was the final wicket. Okay. So you've knocked them over for 154. I am going to commentate this. You are going to play the role of special comment. So you're going to have to figure out how you got her very quickly here, okay? <laughs> you ready to go? Yeah. Gua at the top of the mark. She's got four for. She's really made a mess of Australia today. Comes steaming in, ponytail side to side to Pike. It's full. Knocked her over. Pike is gone. Gua has got five. And Australia have been rolled by this English sensation for 154. Isha, what about that for a nut? Well, it was the perfect delivery, Howie. Uh... <laughs> Pitched outside leg, it hit the top of off. She had absolutely no hope, Kirsten Pike. And what a spell of bowling from Ishigua. Seriously, the best spell of bowling I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and off she goes to the pavilion. She's sprinting away. Because away she might have teammates. to... She might have to bat, good heavens, and that'll clear the crowd right out of here at Powerall. Because she can bowl, but by gee, if this girl bats, it'll send you to sleep. <laughs> oh, God. Well done, well done. We've now got a highlight <laughs> to go with. Um, your cricket career, before we get to commentary, winning in Ashes um, and sprinting off is, I would imagine, a highlight, but winning a 50-over World Cup, is that your greatest achievement in a sporting sense each? <clears throat> yes, I had to think about that one because the Ashes is such a, a such a historic event between the two nations. Uh, I I loved playing in the Ashes, playing in Test matches against Australia, and to be able to win an Ashes, I think, 
is a pretty significant and ranks very high. But yeah, I think the 2009 World Cup, purely because of the journey that we all went on as cricketers together, it felt like, you know, they were family away from home and it wasn't a four-year journey even. It was a it was a seven-year journey from being a, a pretty average side to going to the 2005 World Cup, believing that we were a pretty good team, getting knocked out in the semi-finals by Australia. And then a similar thing happening the, the following year where, <clears throat> again, we thought we were pretty good and then we got smashed uh, in India. And, you know, all these kind of low points led to what eventually was the the best time of our lives. Um, you know, we went in as favourites. We were, I think, 11 games unbeaten before we went to, to Australia to play in the World Cup. We'd actually, so myself and three other girls had already been out there playing for respective clubs. And um, I had the honour of playing at Bankstown, which was incredible. Um, but just be, to be able to spend a bit of time out there, get used to the wickets and and come together and, and, and do something tremendous like that I mean that that lasts forever um you know we had a little our little anniversary the other day I think it was 11 years or something and uh you know probably five of us or six of us actually got on a call together because we've we've been doing these hit classes so um every Wednesday every Sunday we've been doing a hit class together and you know there's probably five of four of those girls from from that world cup win which you know that's a bond that lasts forever um, you can never forget that. That's that's just something that that will stay. New Zealand, one hundred and sixty-six all out. Gua five overs, one for twenty-four. Miserly, hard to get away. England had a few concerns after a nice partnership at the start. Then six for one hundred and seventy-six, winning by four wickets and twenty-three balls. How does Isha Gua and the two thousand and nine England One Day International team celebrate winning the World Cup? Um. I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say where we went, actually. Oh, God. We, well, we used to frequent it quite... It's quite a... And no offence to the Three Wise Monkeys, but it's a bit of a seedy little pub, isn't it, really? The Three Wise Monkeys? <laughs> but we ended up going there on George Street and... Um, partying until the early hours and then I remember distinctly wanting because I, I knew that I had to I think I was leaving the next day and I was gutted anyway because it meant that I couldn't play in our club final the following week for Bankstown um, but I knew I wasn't probably coming back to Australia for a while so at five in the morning when the sun was rising I, I made an effort to get to the beach to watch the sunrise. Good effort Ish. <laughs> then realised how freezing it was <laughs> and again, retreated very, which is something that you're used to because you're a surfer and you love the cold. Yes, well, I don't love it, but I deal with it. So that, that's celebrating the 2009 World Cup. Dare I ask you, Ishigua, probably the most significant moment in English cricket prior to them in the men's side of the game winning last year's World Cup was winning the 2005 Ashes. Vaughan, Flintoff, Peterson, etc. How did Ishigua? celebrate the 2005 men's ashes win do you know something that <laughs> well do you do you know anything about my 2005 ashes win? i've got an inkling i've got an inkling ish actually maybe i should say i've got a twinkling rather than an inkling ish 
Would that be a fair description of twinkling? Oh, God. So we'd been out the night before that day. No, sorry. We'd been out two days before and just had the biggest night ever. So we actually had quite a relaxed affair the night before we went on um, the bus crawl through the streets of London. So we started at Mansion House. The boys were in the the bus in front. We were in the one behind. And uh, I remember it distinctly. It was honestly, it was like a rock concert. The, the streets were lined with people. Like, like literally there were people standing outside their windows um, on ledges on lampposts all calling out um, no one had a clue who we were I mean people were shouting are you the wags so <laughs> <laughs> which we didn't care we were just there for the party so we were in the bus behind um, but this thing took ages so it was like an hour and we were obviously on the champagne so we were just downing it and just living, having the time of our lives. And then it got to the point where my bladder was full and I desperately needed to go to the toilet. And I've since found out that Kevin Peterson was able to stop the bus in front and pop out to go to Starbucks, but I wasn't afforded that luxury. I was told you have to wait until we get to Trafalgar Square, which was another 20, 30 minutes away. Uh-oh. So I, at this point, had no other option but to go downstairs there was no one around and uh i saw fit to find a cup to (laughs) pee into and relieve myself so that i could carry on my drinking see we started this show with me saying i sat next to you and your beautiful refined (laughs) voice and I was like wow she is the quintessential English rose and now you're telling me you had a piss in a cup on a bus Ishigua yes this happened (laughs) you now get the question from the big penguin who is eight and is obsessed by cricket Um, he's a big fan of yours and he was quite excited that you were coming on the show This is what... Love you, Penguin. Well, he loves you too. This is what the Penguin (laughs) has for you, Isha G. Hi, Isha, Big Penguin here. I think you're really cool. We have to do homeschooling at the moment. Mm, Not really cool. My mum's a really good teacher. My dad, mm, not really. But my dad said that you're really smart. What did you do at university? He's a big fan. And he's like, did she always play cricket? And I said, mate, she is the most qualified, smartest person I think I've ever met. People don't realise this about you. You need to, and you know this fascinates me, you need to now tell me in a brief way what qualifications you have, firstly, is you are a very well-studied lady. How you know I just blagged it, you know that. But (laughs) I did... uh... Did biochemistry as my undergrad and then I, because I couldn't finish the PhD completely, um, because I kept getting distracted by broadcast, I ended up with an MPhil in neuroscience. Neuroscience. Now you need to tell the big penguin and the people (laughs) that listen to the Howie Games your final paper, Isha, your big paper. (laughs) How many pages was it? 
I don't know. I've got it upstairs. I don't. Three hundred. Three hundred. I I remember you doing work on this paper, <laughs> and I said to you, "What what's it called?" And you told me what it was called. What was it called? The title. The the effect of junk inhibition on the peripheral nervous system in aging. How do you write 300 pages on I that? I can't believe I remembered that. How do you write 300 pages on that? Oh, it's actually very easy to do. Was it? Yeah, it's more it's more editing it down. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't easy to do, by the way. That whole journey wasn't easy, but actually having material is, it's quite easy to have a lot of material. When are you going to have your own science show on the BBC? <laughs> Because this is the future I've got mapped out for you. Oh, thanks, Harry. Um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I've been looking into it. <laughs> so you should. No, I, no, honestly, I. it's something that I am interested in. I'm interested in science and sport in, in particular and um, how athletes operate f- not – from a psychological point of view, but what, what's actually going on chemically, I'm interested in that. Um, so watch this space. Okay. I'll be tuning into. Uh, I can see it as part sort of cricket, part science, part the goodies. Like they, they were big on their science, the Graham Garden type, part the goodies. Um, I think it'd be a ripping show, Ish. That is the end of part A with Ishigua. Roll in to part B with us right now. Listener.